Well, good morning and welcome back to Alger Assembly of God. Uh, wherever you are and wherever you might be, whenever, however you're watching or listening today, we say thank you for joining us with <laughs> joining with us here at Alger Assembly of God. I've already, I've, I've just started, I've already got like two or three bloopers, but we're just, we'll just leave them in and continue, right? Thanks for joining with us today. Welcome back to our series entitled Ruth. So check this out. Came across an ad printed in a large city's newspaper, and it read something like this. Single female seeks male companionship. Ethnicity not important. Good-looking. I love to play, long walks in the woods, hunting, camping, fishing, riding in your pickup truck, cozy winter nights by the fire, a candlelight dinner will have me eating out of your hands, I'll be at the front door when you get home from work wearing only what nature gave me, kiss me and I'm yours, call this number and ask for Daisy. What do you think of the, the results of the ad? Over 15,000 men called and talked to the Atlanta Humane Society about a yellow Labrador retriever named Daisy. Now, what does that prove to us? That when it comes to finding love, uh, we as a people can typically tend to go crazy. We can tend to go overboard seeking it. And when it comes to seeking out and finding our future, we tend to be pretty curious and pretty active. And so that's basically where we are as we jump back into the book of Ruth, chapter 3, looking for love and seeking out a future. So we began the series in the book of Ruth. We start off by looking at bad decisions. Elimelech, his wife Naomi, their two sons, Malon and Kilion, they left Israel, they left Bethlehem, they left uh, God's place for Moab. Both sons married Moabite women, and in their time spent in Moab, Elimelech, the husband, died. Malon and Kilion, the two sons, died. So we're left with Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. A series of bad decisions. Next week, then, we looked at good decisions. The rest of chapter 1, we saw that Naomi decided to return to Bethlehem, decided to return to the place of God, and she headed back with both of her daughters-in-law. Orpah headed back with her, but ultimately turned and went back to Moab. Ruth committed wholeheartedly and said, your people will be my people, your God will be my God, and so they make their way back at the beginning of barley season. And so last week, last time together, then we looked at this fact that God is always at work. It seemed like things were against them, having lost these family members and, and seemingly having nothing to work with. And yet what we see is Ruth just happens to show up in the field of Boaz, who just happens to be a family redeemer, a kinsman redeemer. He provides for her, allows her to glean and to work in the fields, provides lunch, invites her back for the harvest. And we saw that God is at work many times and oftentimes it's behind the scenes. 
And so we come to chapter 3. It's, it's a little bit of a crossroads. Naomi and Ruth, just the two of them, trying to survive and, and trying to make their way forward. And, and who potentially could there be that would help out with that? So today we're going to be looking at the topic of how do you find, how do you discover God's will? Aren't you intrigued by the future? Don't you want to know what tomorrow's going to hold? And the next day, and the next day, and the next week, and month, and year, we as a people, we're very curious about what the future holds. And so with chapter 3, we're going to look at a number of principles on how you and I can help to find and discover the will of God. First of all, I believe if we want to find, if we want to seek out, if we want to discover God's will, we must listen to God's instructions. Verse 1, one day Naomi said to Ruth. Now, we'll stop right here. Many of these principles you're going to see are human interaction, and certainly there are some things we can learn from that. But above Ruth listening to Naomi, so much more important is you and I listening to God and his instructions. But chapter 3, verse 1, Ruth is listening to Naomi, and Naomi says, My daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Perhaps to some degree right here, she's feeling a little bit responsible. Ruth had married the son. Certainly the son had passed both uh, sons had passed, the father had passed, and now Ruth has committed with her to go to a strange land. She says, your people will be my people, your God will be my God. And so perhaps Naomi's feeling a little responsible. I, I need to get you married off. I, I need somehow to be able to help and take care for you. What can we do? So she says, verse 2, Boaz is a close relative of ours. Uh, many versions or translations would talk about him being a kinsman redeemer, a family redeemer. This, this goes uh, back to that principle of the kinsman redeemer and the Leverite marriage. You would have, uh, if a man dies and leaves perhaps land and a widow with no sons, the nearest kinsman or family redeemer has the opportunity then to buy the land, marry the widow, and have sons with that individual to carry on the deceased's name. If that individual does not or will not or not able to do so, the next closest of kin has the opportunity to redeem and so on. And so this individual is to be asked by this woman. So Naomi says, Boaz is a close relative. And says, he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Again, throughout this whole process in chapter 2, God had provided and Boaz truly had blessed. So Naomi says, tonight he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Let's stop right there. The threshing floor is typically located on the top of a hill. And uh, when I think about this, uh, my mind always goes back to the story of Gideon. Uh, Gideon. Uh, the threshing floor is at the top of the hill. Typically, a wine press is at the bottom of a hill. But Gideon was threshing floor. <laughs> he was threshing the wheat in the wine press. Now, why would a threshing floor need to be on the top of the hill? Uh, they didn't have all the mechanical things that we do today. And so they would take the, 
the, the grain and the sheaves, and you know they would have the oxen kind of run over them, perhaps pulling a sled and kind of beat some of the things out. Then they would take a, a winnowing fork. We might think of it more of a, a pitchfork, toss it in the air. The wind, that breeze, would catch some of the chaff, the worthless parts of the grain, and blow it away. And what would drop down is the heavier, more valuable parts of the grain. And so that's how they would work and come up with this grain. So Naomi says that's where he's going to be. Potentially other men, potentially other individuals uh, working throughout the day, but he's going to be there. Now verse 3, some interesting instructions from Naomi. Do as I tell you. Take a bath. Um, taking a bath is always a good instruction, right? Whether you are Ruth going to meet Naomi, whether you're a, you know, a junior high boy or a, you know, an adult, I mean, taking a bath, that's always a good instruction. She says, put on perfume, dress in your nicest clothes. So she's telling her to, to be presentable here. And she says, go to the threshing floor. But don't let Boaz see you until he's finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. Now, we're reading this, and certainly in that culture, it's a little bit different. And in our culture, we read that and say, whoa, how forward can you get? Take a bath and perfume and get all dressed up and find where he is, uncover his feet, just lay there and say, what next? So we're reading this and we're saying, this seems kind of interesting. This seems a little iffy. Certainly as a part of it, it's the woman or the widow who needs to ask or request of this kinsman redeemer. In a sense, she's asking, will you redeem me? So here's the instructions. Now, different interpretations of this. Some would say this is incredibly forward and tempting, perhaps. Others would, would see Naomi as being kind of wise and maybe sensing God working throughout chapter 2. Whichever camp you fall in, these are the instructions Naomi's giving Ruth. Now, you, you can argue about or debate about whether they were wise or foolish, but what you can't argue about or debate is this. We've got to listen to God's instructions. Naomi was faithful to listen to the instructions she had. You and I need to listen to God's instructions. So let me ask you this. Who are you listening to? We've got to be careful. We've got to be cautious. The people that we let speak into and invest into our lives and into our situations. Many times, we tend to seek out people who will tell us what we want to hear. We'll ask a question, and the way we ask it is we're basically wanting someone to go ahead and tell us yes, right? We, we ask a question, definitely wanting them to agree with us and agree with our side. When we ask questions, when we, we find people who are resources, don't just seek out the ones who tell you what you will want to hear. Sometimes that's what happens, are you looking at wiser, godly, trustworthy, caring individuals? Or sometimes are we going after those who don't know Christ, have no relationship with him, but somehow asking for advice from someone who does not know Christ? There can be some many mature individuals, godly individuals who can help us and speak into our lives. Proverbs warn people 
Not to listen to fools, not to listen to the ungodly. Seek some counsel from godly and mature believers. Now, be, beware. Sometimes godly and mature believers won't always tell you what you want to hear. So get ready. But don't just keep asking until you get the answer you want. Listen for God's instructions. Certainly, we've got people that speak into our lives. Maybe you've got friends, family members, coworkers, classmates. There are people that you connect with on a regular basis, and that can be good. But above all, if you're trying to find out God's will, if you're trying to find out what ought I to do, who better to go to than God himself? Listen for his instructions. We've got to seek him out and listen to what he has to say. And it starts right here in the word of God. As we've encouraged week after week, month after month, Sunday after Sunday, year after year, to get into God's word, to read God's word on a regular and or daily basis, if you want to find out the will of God, dig into the word of God. Listen to his instructions. Read and connect in God's word. Connect to God in prayer and grow in the power of the Holy Spirit to sense his spirit working in your heart and in your life. And when we go to God's word, we listen to it above feelings, above friends, above impressions, above preferences, above desires. Are we listening to God and his word above our own personal desires? So we've got to be in his word and then test those leanings and those nudges with scripture. Listen, God will never instruct you or encourage you or inspire you to do anything that is in opposition to his word. So many times uh, what individuals do is they launch into something and, and they feel as if, well, this happened, it must have been God. God can use situations and God can use circumstances and God can use people and God can use open doors, but those people and those situations and those open doors, if it's God's will, it's not going to contradict God's word. So Naomi was listening to Ruth's instructions trying to figure out what to do next if you and i want to know what to do next if you and i want to understand what god's will is it starts with listening to god's instructions secondly it involves obeying god's directions we like the first one a lot because here's here's what we do we're pretty good as a people with listening and digesting and investing in some of god's instructions i mean you're here today in person you right now you're watching you're listening online so you're investing in hearing from god listening to the instructions of god but it's that four-letter word called obey that comes up a lot in Scripture that we wrestle with and we struggle with. How many of you know it's one thing to listen, it's another thing to do? So she spent some time listening to some pretty interesting instructions from Naomi, 
But check out verse 5 from chapter 3. Ruth replied, I will do everything you say. Ruth said, everything. Wholehearted obedience. Ruth said, listen, Naomi, I don't really understand it all, but I'm going to wash up. I'm going to freshen up. I'm going to dress up. I'm going to go to the threshing floor. I'm, I'm going to see where he's at, and I'll, I'll do the uncovering of his feet, and, and I'll do all that you've asked. Wholehearted devotion, wholehearted obedience. See, the challenge for you and I is many times we prefer the half-hearted approach. We prefer obeying the things that are easy, obeying the things we're already doing. We like to point to the scripture, how well we're doing with this scripture, when right across the page is another one we've not even attempted. It's not just about listening and hearing from God. Now we've got to put it into practice and actually obey. Ruth is saying, I'm going to do it all. I will be wholeheartedly obedient to your instructions. How much more ought you and I to be wholeheartedly obedient to God? So verse 6, she went down to the threshing floor. What are those next two words? That night. She went to the threshing floor that night. She was not just going to obey. She was obeying right away. Anybody in here have a problem with procrastination? I see a bunch of you do because I don't see any hands. I think you're all, you're going to wait till later to raise your hand, right? Procrastination. We'll do it, but we'll do it later. We'll do it when I feel like it. We'll do it when it's easy. We'll do it if and when I get time. Ruth was not just going to obey wholeheartedly and do it all. She was going to obey right away. We're asked to obey God, not next week and not next year and not when it seems easy. We're called of God to obey and put it into practice. So she went to the threshing floor that night. She followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. We're going to see exactly what she did. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Not unusual. There would be typically individuals at this time, if you're threshing your grain at the threshing floor, you're going to stick around and make sure no one comes by and steals your stuff. So he's, he's there. He falls asleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. She's, she's putting all of these interesting instructions into practice. She is obeying them. Verse 8, around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. I think that would be a surprise, right? Who are you, he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. See, the, the book of James, New Testament, very familiar passage of Scripture, but the encouragement is, James says, be a doer of the word, not just a hearer only. Because, again, we are very good at hearing We'll listen to what God has to say, either by reading the Bible or spending time in a discipleship class or being a part of a Sunday morning service, a, a worship service where God's word is preached and proclaimed, or whatever it is. We invest time in hearing, but we tend to not invest as much time in the doing. How are we to obey? We're to obey like Ruth did to Naomi, 
wholeheartedly and right away. Obey what God says, how God says. Because how many of you, you kind of like to do things your way? Are there any kind of individualistic kind of, you know, I like to do my way kind of people? You know, someone gives you some instructions, you're like, I got it. I can do it. I don't need your instructions, right? Sometimes we can be, you know, kind of picky. I don't want to listen to you. I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah, I'll get to it. I'll do it my way. When it comes to God and his word, we are to obey what God says and do God's will God's way. Let me ask, do you and I, do we desire the will of God more than our own way? Do we want what God wants more than I want what I want? Don't answer that one too quickly. Because sometimes that can be a challenge. Because we like the stuff that we want, and we, we want to tell God how we want him to answer. I want things my way. Even Jesus, part of his prayer was, not my will, but yours to be done. Do we want God's will? Yes. But are we willing to do as God directs? We've got to be willing to do the right thing, to do what God instructs us, even if it's not easy, even if it's hard, even if we don't feel like it. You ever had that thought? I just don't feel like doing whatever it is. I don't feel like going to school. Is it a fog day today? Is it a snow day today, right? You just don't feel like going to school. I don't feel like going to work. I, don't, I just don't feel like it. Sometimes we don't always feel like putting into practice what God's word is talking about. But we're to obey. Ruth was wholeheartedly and immediately obeying Naomi. How much more ought you and I to wholeheartedly and immediately obey God's directions? John MacArthur put it this way, in order to find God's will for the future, you must be doing God's will in the present. I like that. So we listen to God's instructions, obey God's directions, and if we want to find and seek and discover God's will, let's, number three, believe God's promises. So back to the story. Ruth has uncovered the feet of Boaz, and, and she said, uh, you know, you're my family redeemer. Verse 10, Boaz exclaims, the Lord bless you, my daughter. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before, for you've not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. So there seems to have been some kind of an age gap in here between Ruth and Boaz. And, and he's saying, you know, you're not pursuing. You're being kind of forward in some of these other things, and you're asking me about being a family redeemer, but you're not seeking after the younger men. There's a loyalty here. You're following and seeking what seems to be what God has set up. Verse 11. Now, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. How many of you have heard those words before? A friend, a family member, a co-worker, teacher, classmate, whoever, they, they look you straight in the eye and they say, hey, listen, don't worry about a thing. I got it. Sometimes those are famous last words, right, as a promise. When someone says, don't worry, sometimes our initial thought is what? <laughs> I'm going to worry. 
I mean, I wasn't worried before, but now that you told me not to, I think I am. Boaz gives a promise, don't worry about a thing. Here's another promise. I will do what is necessary. Don't worry. I'll do what's necessary. And then he follows it up and says, everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. Earlier in chapter 2, we saw that Boaz was described as a worthy man. Ruth here is described as a virtuous woman. These, these are some upstanding, high-quality individuals. So, verse 12, Boaz says, While it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there's another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Remember, in verse 9, Ruth says, Redeem me because you are my family redeemer. She's, she's sharing and repeating what Naomi had said. He's a family redeemer. Ruth says, You're my family redeemer. And Boaz says, I am one of your family redeemers. I am a redeemer, but there's somebody who's even closer in line than me. So verse 13, he says, stay here tonight, and in the morning, I will talk to him. He's looking out for her. Stay here tonight. Don't try to go home late at night here. I'm looking out for your safety. But let me give you another promise. Don't worry. I'll do what's necessary, and I will talk to him. If he's willing to redeem you very well, let him marry you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. I mean, this Boaz is issuing promise after promise after promise. So verse 14, Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning. Safety there. But she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. He's looking out for both of their reputations. His reputation as well as hers. You don't want to give anybody room for gossip. Right? You don't, you don't want there to be even the hint of impropriety. So, okay, stay here at least a little bit later in the night. Be safe. But no one should know about this. So she leaves early enough to head home. Ruth is listening to, trusting in, and believing promise after promise after promise from Boaz. He has been an upstanding man, and he's... He's issued all these promises. Don't worry. I'll do what's necessary. I'll talk to him, and I will redeem you myself. I would venture to say, you and I know, when we've heard some people who make a promise, we tend to know whether we can trust or believe them, right? I mean, sometimes there's some individuals that say something or promise something, and you look at them and you know, I can take it to the bank. They will follow through. There's other individuals that you hear something, and how many of you, you kind of roll your eyes? In other words, I'll believe it when I see it. When it comes to Boaz, she was trusting in Boaz, but even more, you and I, I want to assure you, we can trust in and believe the promises of God. In his word, God has promises to do what? God has promises to love us. God has a promise to forgive. 
God has a promise to heal and to direct and to strengthen and to encourage and to equip and to fill with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's promise after promise after promise. The old song of the church. Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. As we go through this word of God, Genesis to Revelation, we see promises of God. And so to experience and find and discover his will, part of it is I'm going to trust and believe his promises that what he's said and spoken are going to come to pass. So to find God's will, part of that is believing his promises. Number four, to find and discover God's will, receive his provision. Verse 15, Boaz says to Ruth, bring your cloak, spread it out. He measures six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned to the town. Some scriptures or versions would say she returned to the town. Uh, more than likely, both at some point returned to town. When Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, What happened, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done. And she added, He gave me these six scoops of barley and said, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed Boaz in the previous chapter had done what blessed and blessed and blessed and blessed allowing her to work in the fields providing her with a meal eating with he and his workers sending back the rest with her instructing his workers you know don't don't glean everything let there be some in fact intentionally drop some for her and then he said Come back and work with us, stay in my fields, and work the whole rest of the harvest. It was blessing upon blessing upon blessing, and now he's made promises. I'll redeem you if this other one doesn't, but by the way, let me give you six scoops of barley to take back with you. Don't go empty-handed. God is a God of blessing. More than just a few scoops of barley, although that was a great blessing to Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, God is a God of blessing and provision. I know you've experienced it in your life spiritually. God has cleansed and forgiven many in your lives and bodies physically. You've experienced the blessing of healing. You've experienced the blessing of provision, sometimes in finances, sometimes with, you know, steps and direction of what to do. God is a God who blesses. Receive God's provision. Finally, this morning, you want to seek, you want to find, you want to discover the will of God? Be willing to wait on God's presence. Now, oh, Pastor Mark... You're using all these four-letter words we don't like. Obey, wait. It's here. Verse 18. Naomi said to Ruth, Just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. Now, you and I look at this chapter, and maybe it strikes you a little bit odd. Here's Naomi who says, you know, Wash up and freshen up and dress up and, you know, go to this man, uncover his feet. She said some pretty interesting, pretty forward kind of action-related things. And now Naomi's saying, whoa, slow down. Wait. Trust God. 
Trust Boaz. Trust that he will do what he said he'd do, but wait. Patience and waiting, it's, isn't that one of the most difficult character traits to establish? The classic person says, give me patience and give it to me right now. We know the value of patience, but we're impatient when it comes to learning it. Because if we're being honest, many times we are in a hurry, but maybe God isn't. You ever felt like that? You felt like you wanted God to move and you wanted something to happen, and again, it seems like nothing is happening. Maybe you'd consider yourself an impatient person. Let me ask you this. Have you ever tried to help God out? I've shared mine with you. But certainly, there are times when we think nothing's happening, we think God's not acting, God's not moving, and so let me step in and do what I think God wants me to do. I'm going to help you out, God. And sometimes God's waiting on us to wait. But we'll, we'll step in, we'll try to help God out because he's just not moving fast enough. We're not willing to wait. We step in and try to help God out because we can't see the big picture like he can. We see this little sliver of life in front of us. God sees the whole picture like a large parade. But we struggle with seeing the whole picture. So we try to help God. Many times we try to help God out because we're, well, we're selfish and we're concerned about us. I want this, so I'm just going to jump in and do it, God, whether you think I should or not. And yet God is calling you and I to wait, to trust to wait on what he has to say, to wait on his timing. We want it now. We want it soon. We want it yesterday. And Naomi's saying, be patient. Many times God's saying to you and God's saying to me, be patient. Psalm 37, 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. In George Mueller's Bible next to Psalm 37, 23, it says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. In George Mueller's Bible, he wrote this phrase too, and the stops. The steps of a godly man, the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord, but so too are the stops. We want the steps. Sometimes God puts stops in place or asks us to wait and be patient. Are you and I willing to wait on God's presence? Chapter 3, Ruth is seeking what's next. And she does a number of things in response to Naomi. Even more than her response to Naomi is your response, my response to God. You want to find God's will? You want to seek and discover what he has for you and I? Listen to God's instructions. Obey God's directions. Believe God's promises. Receive God's provision. And then wait on God's presence. 